Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to all of our paralegal podcast attendees. I am Staff Sergeant Curl, one of your hosts for the Paralegal Podcast, and tonight I am joined by Master Sergeant Barker, who has uh, absolutely graciously decided to do an interview with us and talk about sort of her life, her career, and her current position at JAT. Uh, Master Sergeant Barker, it is absolutely awesome to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. You asking me to do this is kind of cool. So Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, like I said, we really want to highlight uh, our paralegals and the great work that they're doing and, and also have it be an educational um, type of episode, right? Because JAT sort of has this almost mystery behind it, right? Ooh, like nobody really, I think, except for the few people who've really worked there, understands all of the inner workings of JAT, right? We generally know what JAT does, but when you get into the meat and potatoes of like, how does this work? I think that's where a lot of people are like, I have no clue. So before we get into, uh, you know, today, right? And, and what you do at JAT, Let's take a step back and, um, you know, you can start out, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you enlisted, and we'll go from there. Okay, cool. So, um, I'm, like you said, I'm Master Sergeant Jamie Barker. Um, I've been in the Air Force 13 years. Um, I enlisted out of Valdosta, Georgia. My father was in the Air Force for 24 years. He was a combat arms instructor for 20 years. And then when they merged kind of the security police and the, um, other things all into one into security forces, he, um, went back to tech school as a 20 year master sergeant, um, and learned how to do all the security forces stuff. And then he got out, um, and retired at 24 years. So I kind of always knew that I wanted to join Mm -hmm. the military. Um, I remember talking to him and I told him I wanted to join the Marines of the air force. And he drove me to an air force recruiting office so I didn't even get the opportunity to talk to, to a Marine recruiter. Um, but <laughs> thankful that he did that. He was looking out for me. Um, I ended up coming in open general. I actually had a computer job booked with my recruiter and I wasn't supposed to leave until after Thanksgiving of 2008. And my recruiter actually called me early and said that they were wondering if I wanted to ship out, come in open general and I would get in like the last six and a half week program and I wouldn't have to do eight and a half weeks of basic training. So I took it, um, <laughs> had no idea what open general was. Um, so I came in, went through basic, I think like my third week of basic training, I went in and like picked my mm-hmm. jobs. Um, I ended up sitting down and talking to a senior master sergeant there who was a paralegal. Um, cause I had put paralegal on the list. And I actually ended up getting paralegal. And uh, so I got that, graduated, went to paralegal tech school at Maxwell. So I'm a pipeline. Didn't have another career field before paralegal. Um, I was there a week and everybody was supposed to get like their assignments Mm -hmm. weeks in. And I don't even, I think I was there a week. And they're like, you know, Airman Barker, um, we actually have your assignment already. And I was like, no way. Like I'm the first person to get my assignment and they're like congratulations you're staying at maxwell air force base (laughs) oh i literally went from the first floor in the dorms 
to the third floor and moved in a dorm room there. And Maxwell was my first duty station. So 18 years old, um, Airman Basic, got stationed at Maxwell. And then not that we all don't love Montgomery, Alabama, but I am from Georgia. So I wanted to get a little bit further away from home, mm-hmm. putting um, worldwide volunteer extra long tour or whatever one of my supervisors had told me to do that and it was like a sure shot to get out and no kidding um i got orders like probably a month after to worldwide uh extended long tour and i got orders to masawa japan those actually ended up getting diverted to uh elmendorf at the time before they were j-bear um so i went to anchorage alaska was there for four years. I deployed to Afghanistan. Um, I did detainee ops at Bagram Air Base. So I did that for six months. When I got back, was there a couple more years, ended up getting selected for the DSD program, the developmental special duty. So I got to go and enlist like three special duties that I wanted to do. I think I had MTL, PME instructor and recruiter. And I ended up getting selected for DSD. So the cool thing about Recruiter, when I got picked up, is, you know, as paralegals, you have, you know, we just have our Air Force bases that we can go to, right? Mm-hmm. I got picked up for recruiting. They sent me a list, and it was like 380 different cities that wow. I got to Yes. And you could literally list one through 380 if you wanted to go through, you know, all that trouble and do that. Mm-hmm. I did not. I listed like 15 and I ended up getting my number fifth choice, which was Tallahassee. Um, got into recruiting. Absolutely loved it um, for my special duty. And, and I'm going to throw that in there. If you want to do a special duty, I highly recommend it. Um, it was my favorite job, favorite thing I've done in the Air Force so far. Um, I loved recruiting. So I went to Tallahassee, was an hour and a half from home, got to spend a lot of time with my family, um, got to really work with people. You know, as paralegals every day, sitting in a base legal office, you see people at their worst and you see people on their worst day. And I think recruiting was just really awesome because you got to be that person that, that helped change that person's life for the better and gave them an opportunity that they might not normally have. Um, so instead of dealing with all the bad stuff in recruiting, I got to deal with, you know, being a part of that person's like, you know, one of the best days of their life type thing mm-hmm. and seeing the good stuff that we as paralegals don't normally get to see, if that makes sense. That makes, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that, I think you captured that perfectly, right? As, as paralegals were involved in some of the most intimate and heartbreaking moments of some people's lives and you got to be on that other side of the coin where people who've been fighting, right, they want the, the chance and the opportunity to wear the uniform. You know, you got to help them cross that finish line to start that new chapter of their life. So that is uh, definitely something that very few of us can say that, you know, we've had that experience, that's for sure. All right. And most people get that, like, you know, on the DP side and things like mm-hmm. that you know, on the SVP side to get, you know, to help with certain things. But it was just, it was just a whole different thing. And I, I absolutely loved it. Um, tried you, to stay. I'm sorry. Have, what would you say your, your favorite part of uh, being a recruiter was? 
Um, probably like the flexibility, making your own schedule, um, doing what works best for you. Cause you, you literally like, it's like running your own business, mm -hmm. um, set your office hours, you decide, okay, I'm going to go to this school on this day, or I'm going to go to this event on this day. Um, so it was just, it was just really nice to just kind of plan my hours and just my whole schedule and just kind of like figured out what works best for me. And other than obviously the thing of just helping people, but that would probably be close to it is just the flexibility of everything. I could definitely see it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like running uh, your own franchise, I guess. Right. It's like you, you, you are a franchisee of the air force. You, you follow the, the rules and the guidelines of the, the corporation as a whole, but uh, that, that, that sounds incredibly empowering to be able to, to really sort of run uh, your own ship, right. As, as you see fit. Um, how was it uh, being involved with, um, like the headquarters recruiting station, right? So I guess for each region, y'all probably, y'all had like supervisory offices and then you had MEPS. So how was it trying to not only run your office, but then also make sure that you were meeting the requirements and the goals set by those uh, higher level offices? Oh, so it was super easy. So, um, one of the things other than camaraderie that's really great about recruiting is communication because we are geographically separated, like all of us, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're, there's some people that get stationed in a city that have a base, but then a lot of us were in cities that don't even have an air, a, a military installation at all. Um, and there's people that are like super far out and just completely on a different island. Um, we knew what our goals were supposed to be like monthly. We knew, okay, I'll probably have a three or four this month. And then what our flight chief would do is there was like seven, eight of us in a flight and he would send out, he or she would send out, you know, expectations for the week. Okay. You got to have this many appointments. You got to make this many phone calls. And on Friday we would just send our report. We would pull our report from a system. We had a system kind of like Amgen. It's called AFRIS. And it's where we put all our applicants in there, all our phone calls. And we just kind of keep track of everything. And we pull that report, report on Friday and we would send it up. And then as long as you met those expectations and as long as you were making goal that was set by the squadron, they pretty much left you alone. Yeah, that's, so. that's gotta be, um, I mean, that, that's the best, right? I really can't, I, I've been in situations like that where, right. As long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, uh, it's, it's smooth sailing. And that that has gotta be, uh, incredibly refreshing, right? I think a lot of people, hear the alternative about recruiting where they're like, Oh my goodness, it's such a, a, a hard job. There's so much to deal with. Uh, right. Not, not saying that it's not challenging. Right. But you're, you're showing the flip side of that coin, which is it, it's sort of what you make it. And, um, as long as you have a, a solid team, it seems like it's probably quite enjoyable. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I was 24 brand new staff sergeant when I went into recruiting and I mean, you have to have that drive. You have to have that initiative and stuff like that. Um, because your first year is the hardest because it's like building your company up. Um, my first year, there was one point I worked 39 days in a row without a day off and it was like 14 hour days. But once I got through that first year, 
you know, I had people who knew me. The whole town knew that I was the Air Force recruiter. Um, people knew me when I went into the schools. So it's just kind of like building up your reputation mm-hmm. and your character in the, in, in the Air Force in that zone, in that area. And once you do that, um, your next three years are just, they're amazing. So you, you've run us through, right, what it's like being a recruiter and how much you enjoyed that. Um, so from recruiting, right, what were your goals? Like, where did you, where'd you go after that? So I actually wanted to stay in recruiting. Um, my goal was to go to the recruiting school and be an instructor and then kind of do some marketing things and stay in recruiting. Um, but ended up not working out. You know, you want to make God laugh. You tell him your plans, right? So um, I ended up getting pulled back into the career field. But we had a BOP coming out of a special duty. Um, So I ended up getting one of my bases that I put down, and that was Seymour. Um, So I went to Seymour, ended up being the NCIC of Justice. Um, I applied to deploy there, ended up going to Adafra. Uh, air Base, and I was the NCIC of the legal office out there. Got to work with awesome Captain Bell and Colonel Brown. I was there, we were supposed to be there for six months, and then this awesome thing called COVID-19 happened, <laughs> and um, I was supposed to come home in April. COVID hit like February, March, so they had actually originally said we were going to stay out there an entire year, that we would come home in October, um, but we ended up getting to come home in June. So came home in June, um, found out I made master in July of 2020. And then once I found out that I made master, I was like, oh, cool. Like, I want to get on AMS and kind of see what what other opportunities there are um, in, in the paralegal career field to kind of mm-hmm. help, like, make it better. Like, I've been in since day one. So I was 18. Like, I'm about to be a master sergeant. Like, let me see what other opportunities there are, like, outside of a base legal office. Mm-hmm. So I actually, ECR was on their enlisted court reporter, and I was like, well, I'm kind of still a tech, but I have a line number, so let mm-hmm. me see if I can apply for the ECR job. So I actually called up Sergeant Smith, Jamie, her and I talked um, about the ECR stuff, and she was like, hey, just hit the button. I'll let you know if you can't, you know, be at ECR because you have a line number. So I went back to AMS and I was like trying to click it. And it's like, you, you, you don't qualify for these mm-hmm. jobs. Ended up not being able um, to click the button. But a couple weeks later, the JAT, the, the JAT position came out, the law office manager position. So I ended up applying for that and I ended up getting it. Um, so then I moved up here to Alexandria and on Andrews and kind of working at JAT now. Um, so... We've sort of gotten around to present day uh, in, in delightful Alexandria, Virginia. So <laughs> let's talk about what a day in the life of JAT looks like. Could you walk us through that? Yeah. So um, JAT is made up of our office here at headquarters, and then we have five circuits out there. We have the European, we have the Pacific, Central. Um, Eastern and Western. And then uh, at headquarters here, we have the chief trial judge, which is Colonel Weedy. We have the deputy chief trial judge. And then a couple judges, you know, Ms. Sherman, who does all the docketing mm-hmm. stuff. 
and then me and uh, Sergeant Smith. Um, Sergeant Smith is over all the enlisted court reporters and the civilian court reporters. She's the court reporter manager. Um, so it's literally just me and her. We're the only two paralegals here at JAT. Um, so my job as the law office manager is to do all those admin things we were talking about, mm-hmm. managing roster, um, working with the judges. Um, we are the people that literally keep the trials running in the Air Force. So um, I do all the um, exceptions to policy right now, especially with COVID-19. It's, it's you know, doing this kind of thing, you know, ramp down, then ramp back up. So for them to be able to travel, we're still doing ATPs for judges to certain locations. Um, I do, I help Sergeant Smith out a lot because she's super busy um, with court reporting, whether that's travel, transcribing, um, AIBs even have to get transcribed. So I do help her allow, help her out a lot with the on installation stuff. Um, and then I am also in charge of all the enlisted court reporters training. Um, so we'll do like seven level proficiency training, uh, make sure their rec- their their training records are good to go. Um, but pretty much I am the loss of the Air Force trial judiciary. That's that's a that's a lot, right? What you just went through. I mean that that's pretty heavy in terms of normally a loss is just responsible for an office, right? You know, at the wing level. Uh, so, you know, they've got a handful of individuals that they've got to make sure are good to go and annotate training. And you've got a worldwide mission where you're having to ensure that all of our enlisted court reporters are, are meeting that, uh, that continuing legal education requirement. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, a lot to, to take on. Um, so, and you brought up COVID, right? And the exceptions to policies, how exactly uh, is that going, right? I imagine that is somewhat difficult to coordinate. We've got to keep justice rolling in these locations. It's not just something that we can put a pause on and say, oh, you know, we, uh, COVID got in the way, right? Speedy trial. Uh, it just, <laughs> it's, it's just, it is what it is. I'm sorry, accused. You're going to have to sit in confinement longer uh, you know, the justice train keeps rolling. So can you sort of explain how you've got to work these policies and procedures to ensure that justice is administered in a timely fashion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of scary cause they let me like draft up all the documents and then they go straight to DJAG. So, <laughs> uh, I have a direct line to DJAG apparently. Um, no. So what it is, is it's, I work with DJAG's office uh, Major Van Drill, she's awesome. What happens is these guidelines and these policies come out, and then there's a there's a list that's updated every week, and it's the travel restriction guidance. And I have to go to that. So what I do is I get into our joint doc or our docking system mm-hmm. that Mr. handles. I kind of track everybody's like travel and things like that and then i pretty much just look at this jds system and then i lift look at these travel restrictions and kind of see okay who's going where and then if the installation's red what i do is i just kind of put this package together for djag like hey please sir you know this is what's going on this base is red this judge this ecr needs to travel um, because the convening authority has said this is mission essential and we need to get this court done um, so, and then the judge pushes out 
you know, courtroom procedures and things like that to the base. And that's kind of in the memo. Like these people are going to follow, you know, what the judge has said needs to done to keep everybody safe. Um, but I just put the memo together, send it up, DJ signs it. And then I send it out to the judges and the ECRs and then they're able to travel. DJ is the one who approves right now all the military judges and the ECRs to travel to an installation that is red due to COVID restrictions. That, that makes sense. Have y'all been working with the offices, right, to implement these sort of COVID mitigation measures within the courtrooms? I mean, because anybody who's ever attended a court, generally speaking, it's a full house, right? I mean, everybody wants to come and see it. You've got all these panel members who are sitting inside of the, these jury boxes beside each other, and then they've got to go into these smaller deliberation rooms typically. Uh, so have you been coordinating and working with the bases to implement like mitigation measures so they can still conduct business as usual? So I specifically am not a part of that process. Um, that's what the judge does when they have uh, these docketing calls and stuff like that. They'll push out their expectations to trial counsel, and then I'm sure the trial counsel pushes it down to the case paralegal and stuff like that. Um, but me, I, I have no involvement um, with the base legal office when it comes to that. That's something that the military judge um, kind of pushes out themselves. Got it. So what would you say your your favorite aspect of working at JAT is? Um, Probably, you know how when you're a case paralegal, like, you kind of just see, like, you're in a box, right? And you just kind of just see every day, you're in the grind, you're there, you know, way past 4.30. <laughs> yes. You're just pushing and you're pushing through and you're grinding and, you know, you're just waiting and then you're, you're waiting for that acquittal. You're waiting for that conviction. And you're just building this rot. Um, the cool thing about being a part of JAT is just I kind of see the bigger picture of things now, um, getting to be at a higher level and kind of see things from a different point of view and a different perspective. And it's just really cool to see a different aspect of the job other than just pushing pushing a court. So you've covered a lot with JAT, right? With the day-to-day -day workings look like and how COVID has really impacted that. Um, what What's something else, right, that sticks out to you as notable about JAT that maybe um, others haven't really considered before? So one thing that I, that I didn't realize and I didn't know until I got into JAT is there's a joint military judges course um, every year and every other year the Air Force plans it. Um, so every two years the Air Force is in charge of doing it and it's it's down um, at Maxwell at the JAG school. Um, this is the first one that I'm going to get to go to. So we have our judges course in the summer for new Air Force judges that come in. Um, but this one that we're going to um, in February next month, just in like a week, it has all the branches of service um, and all the military judges. So it's like an entire week of training for Air Force, Marines, Navy, Army to kind of get together and just talk about um, the different judiciary processes. All the ECRs get to go. Me and Sergeant Smith get to go. So it's just an awesome time for us all to get together especially, you know, since we are geographically separated. But it's just really cool that all the services get together each year 
and kind of talk about different things um, within the judicial system in the military. So is that sort of like their conference where they can come together and talk about uh, sort of like the, the novel things that are occurring within the judicial world and, and how um, like maybe the higher courts are treating those kinds of issues and things like that? Yep, okay. absolutely. So they'll go and then they'll just talk about like best practices and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's that is something that uh, even working at the schoolhouse, right, and and being somewhat familiar with the schedule, I was not aware uh, that the the judges did that. So that is um, incredibly interesting to know that they they do have a joint service kind of conference that they all get together on. What are some things that you would like to see changed in the paralegal corps? So. Um one of the big things that we talked about was, was that leadership part. Right. And just, just kind of being, you know, back there pushing courts and not really getting, you know, the information that we need to grow as, as an airman with a big A, right. Not just a paralegal, um, chief Haskins, man, she is tackling that. Um, when I went to paid back in April of 2021, um, she kind of talked about having, something similar to the officers um kind of like just a career progression type thing and i think that she's really tackling it and focusing in on the paralegals and kind of focusing um like the whole badges thing that came out um and and talking about like talent management and things like that um being 18 years old and coming into this career field you know i've seen a lot of changes over time and it's mostly with processes and things like that. But I think Chief Haskins is really tackling um, the thing that I care most about, and that's the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she's really taking this serious and, you know, um, pushing things out. Um, we got that paralegal guide that just came out. So I think the main thing that I want to happen, I think Chief Haskins is doing an awesome job with it. Yeah, that is uh, something that, is near and dear to me, right? That, that talent management, because I feel like within the air force, the officers, they have quite a bit of talent management, right? Their careers and their assignments, they are set up literally for deliberate development. Uh, I think I've read that in a few places where they have deliberate development and with the enlisted, a lot of times it's just sort of luck of the draw. You know, uh, what, what command, what MAGCOM is the command of entitlement? Where are you going to go and sit in this assignment? And what's your rank? We're going to, we're going to find something that fits, uh, versus really leveraging the, the knowledge, skills, and abilities that we gain over time. So I, I've, I've seen that Chief Haskins really seems to be pushing for that deliberate development. So we talked about, what kind of changes, right, that you'd like to see in the JAG Corps? What kind of change would you like to see in the Air Force at large? Um, I mean, I guess kind of in the same lines as that, just um, just people taking care of people. Um, we see it a lot in our job. If, you know, somebody doesn't like somebody, then they're going to go after them and just give them paperwork after piece of paperwork until um you know until they have enough to kind of get rid of them um i just wish that people were more you know sensitive to others and just kind i know that we do a lot of training 
and things like that. But that's just, you know, PowerPoints and, you know, videos that we go through. And I just, I just wish that the Air Force would kind of culturally change to actually doing these things and, and stop and stop just talking about it, if that makes sense. I just wonder if people aren't investing in others um, like they should be and kind of grooming them and just just taking care of people. I just feel like people are just more kind of like self-involved. And then once they get to that next step, they kind of forget where they came from. And I just wonder if they look back and kind of extend their hand a little bit and kind of pull those people up with them. Um, and I just, it would just be people just, you know, just being a friend, like and not like fraternization or unprofessional relationship type friend, but just going to work and, and knowing that person that sits next to you or stands next to you and just investing in other people um, and just taking that, that extra second extra two seconds out of the day to just check on your wingman and just being there for each other um, instead of just being so self-involved. Um, there's nothing wrong with, with taking care of you. I already said that, you know, nobody cares about you like you care about you, but um, you can also just, it's literally just turning to your left and your right. And if every person did that, I think that, that we would be a better air force. Those, those are some wise words. And, you know, I, I agree with the, the sentiment, right? Where nobody cares about your career as much as you. You've got to be willing to invest in yourself. And then we want to see that investment in others, you know, and taking care of each other. Um, because as we all know, you know, we spend more time at work than we do with our own families most of the time. Uh, so, so we really do become this sort of extended family uh and we, we've got to look out for each other so something that i i like to close interviews with what would you master sergeant barker if given the opportunity say to airman basic barker what piece of advice would you give yourself to uh you know possibly have grown more effectively or even faster than you already did? Probably be patient. Um, Cause I definitely lack patience. Um, <laughs> and I think as Airman Barker and even as, uh, you know, Staff Sergeant, Tech Sergeant Barker, and, and even now um, I like to jump before I have all the information or things like that. And I think that's a good leadership quality to have is patience um, and just kind of understanding, you know, everything and not assuming things, um, and just be patient with the job. Um, I think that over the years we've gotten, um, some great people in leadership positions that have really had an opportunity, um, to change the career field. And as I rank up, um, that's what I want to do. I want to leave it better than I found it. Um, and I just want to take care of the people. So be patient with others, be patient with yourself, be patient with the career field. Um, cause it gets better. That is solid advice. I think, um, I think, right. A lot of us are guilty of one side or the other of that, where we're not patient enough, or sometimes we wait too long to do something and we, we don't, it's that inaction that sometimes hinders us. So I think that is. Uh, fantastic advice 
something that everybody could probably still apply to their life to this day, regardless of where we are in our career. So Master Sergeant Barker, I would like to, again, thank you for wanting to participate and being willing to come onto the show and talk to us about uh, your career and who you are, some of the things that you've done, especially in the recruiting and now in, in JAT, right? So you've, you've had a quite an eventful career thus far, and uh, I definitely look forward to seeing how you continue to progress in your career and, and where that takes you. So again, thank you for, for being on the show. No, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and um, this is, this is really awesome. And I appreciate you and starting Quinto reaching out, um, get a chance to, to, to kind of just talk about the career field and let others know what opportunities there are. Um, if you can do a special duty, do it. If you can get outside of the base legal office and see, what other opportunities there are in the paralegal career field, I highly advise it. Um, just just do it. Just click the button. Just just go out there and kind of see what's out there. So thank Thank you. And thank you to our audience, our viewers, for uh, tuning in to this instance of the Paralegal Podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you like the video, go ahead and hit like and subscribe and share with somebody else in the career field who, who you think might enjoy this. But until next time, we will see you later.